the fulfillment of God's work in the church and on the earth. God has singled out in the end of time men in whom there is a passion and a burden for souls, for the church, for the word, and to represent God accurately in the congregation of the righteous. Brother Jason Calhoun is a man that is not an itinerant preacher looking for a congregation, but he is a God-called evangelist. He is a man of principle. He is a man of passion for the work of God. Most of all, he is a man of prayer and careful attention to God's holy word. West Coast Conference, the year 2002, is blessed that this man of God is coming to the pulpit this morning to deliver his soul. He has heard from God for us. I believe this congregation is ready today to hear again the voice of the Lord through the office of an evangelist. Lift your hands together. Let's ask God to anoint us and to anoint the preacher as he preaches. Let's lift up our hands and our voices to the Lord. Give him praise right now. I thank you, Jesus. God, I come to praise you. I come to worship you today. I come to exalt your name. For you're great, greatly to be praised. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, did somebody come to really praise him at West Coast Conference? Did you come to lift Jesus a little bit higher this morning? Amen. Let's all lift up our voice to him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I feel something here this morning. It's the Holy Ghost that I feel. Praise the Lord. I've always wondered in studying about the life of Abraham why God asked him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice unto him. And we know that God did not allow him to do it, but I've wondered why he even asked him to do it in the first place. Because this was the very thing that he was angry with the Canaanites about. It's because they sacrificed their children to their heathen gods. But then it finally dawned on me that maybe, just maybe, God was wondering, Abraham, do you love your God as much as the world loves their God? We're living in a day when people fill sports arenas, stand in line for hours to see some country and western star. Amen. I think it'd be appropriate if we would praise the Lord this morning from the depths of our heart. I come to ask you, West Coast, do you love your God as much as the world loves theirs? Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Let's praise him right now. Hallelujah. Worship is not just Pentecostal calisthenics, but it's what creates the atmosphere in which God can move and have his way. Hallelujah. I want him to have his way today as he already has in this conference. I thank you, Jesus. God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Would you just clap your hands to it?
I don't know if you feel like I feel, but these services have had a profound effect upon my life. And I've learned through evangelizing that you can never underestimate the power of just one service. You take that one service that you receive the Holy Ghost in. You take it out of your life, you wouldn't be here today. But it's because of that one service. And that reminds us of our responsibility this morning. I'm very humble to be here. And uh, I appreciate the confidence of these good men of God. Appreciate Brother Elder Morton and uh, all that he has meant to us, his vision, his dream for this conference. And uh, I've appreciated it over the years, the times that I've been able to attend. I want to honor all of those preachers that have stirred my heart preceding me in this conference. And I'm going to go home changed. I don't know about you, but uh, I've been affected by this conference, and I thank God for it. And all of our other preachers that are in attendance here, we appreciate you being here. Praise the Lord. I appreciate Brother Aviar's message from the very first night, talking to us about the dangers of deception. And then Brother Weeks yesterday morning talking about the significance of a shepherd in our lives. I was thinking as he was preaching about the importance of a shepherd. I was reminded of a time when David came before Saul seeking his permission to go and face the challenge of Goliath. How that when he stood before him, he handed his resume to him. He told of some experiences in his life. He gave him his testimony. He talked about a time when he was just a shepherd boy and how that there was a lion that came to his flock to devour a lamb. But the lamb was not devoured. It was rather delivered by the hands of David. thought about that. The reason why that this lamb's life was not destroyed was because it was close enough to the shepherd to be saved. I want to give honor to my shepherd, Brother Jerry Green in Porter, Texas. I appreciate him so much, what he's meant to me in my life. I've also appreciated the ministry of Brother Howard talking about our family, our future. And then Brother Copeland last night, again, holding up the mirror of the Word of God. And after that last night, I didn't feel like preaching today. Amen. Just wanted to crawl in a hole somewhere and uh, repent. Praise God. I appreciate Brother Copeland and his ministry and his burden. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, invite your attention to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 20. Say, thankful to have my family with me. Appreciate my wife and children. My parents had told me that they was going to drive down today if they've slipped in. Want them to know that I've appreciated them over the years. Praise God. Acts chapter number 20 and verse 22. And behold, this is Paul speaking. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel grace of God and now behold I know that ye all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face 
no more. I want to direct your attention back to verse 22, just a portion of it. It stands out to me in this scripture. It's a statement that Paul made. He said, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. I want to preach to you this morning about our purpose. I want to entitle this today, Journeying Towards Jerusalem. Journeying Towards Jerusalem. We all are pursuing the will and the purpose of God in our lives. I believe that's the reason why you're here. And we're living in a day that the devil would try to deter us, would try to pull us away from that purpose. But my heart is fixed. I've got my mind made up. My face is set like a flint. I want to see the purpose and the will of God done in these last days. God's looking for men and women in this hour that will not fall to the influences of this world, but will stand, stand for truth, stand for revival, stand for the purpose of God. Would you lift your hands and let's pray for that Holy Ghost anointing to rest upon the remainder of this service. Jesus, God, we need you. We need your anointing to flow and to fill this house. Your anointing is truly the crutch that we lean upon today. We have no confidence in this flesh alone or by itself. We need you. You're the one that can help us. I'm praying, God, that a work of the Spirit would be done. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands to the Lord before you're seated and give Him praise. The man said last night what the Word of the Lord tells us is to clap your hands, all you people. The shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Would you mingle your voice with it now? Would you give him praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing and maybe seated. As you read and study the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, it becomes immediately apparent to you. The apostle Paul is endeavoring earnestly to get to the city of Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost. And it seems that his journey to Jerusalem is not without many delays and distractions and even hindrances. But you must understand from the onset this morning just how important Pentecost was to the Apostle Paul. He did not have a casual, careless, complacent, passive attitude about Pentecost. But Pentecost was a priority to him. It was not just some pastime or hobby, but it was the very passion of his heart. His attitude was not if we arrive at Jerusalem, that's great. But if we don't, well, then that's fine too. But rather, it was Pentecost or bust for him. There were no other options. There were no other alternatives. There was nothing on the Apostle Paul's schedule, on his itinerary, on his agenda that mattered more to him than arriving at Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost. I believe that every born-again apostolic should adopt this same spirit and attitude. How many believes that Pentecostals should be people of passion and of purpose? Nothing should take priority or precedence in our lives over having an apostolic revival and an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. For the Word of the Lord tells us about our God, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's been my observation 
of some 10 years of evangelizing that those that receive the blessings of God are those that desire them with all of their heart. I'm sorry a church does not have revival by coincidence. No more than a person receives the Holy Ghost by accident. But the Bible blatantly tells us, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I note that it does not say that they might be filled, or that they may be filled, or that they should be filled. But it says that they shall be filled. Aren't you thankful for that precious promise this morning? The only prerequisite for your church to have a revival is for you to get hungry for one. The only prerequisite for you to receive something supernatural from God today is to get hungry and develop a desire and a thirst for the things of the Lord. I wonder how many come to this West Coast Conference with a hunger in your heart, with an apostolic appetite down deep in your soul and spirit. I've come to receive something from the Lord. I didn't just come for the fellowship. I didn't just come to go through the motions and to have a few services. But I come to see a move of the Holy Ghost and to have an apostolic revival in my spirit. The hungry shall be filled. Praise God. Praise God. The first distraction that I find the Apostle Paul encountered on his journey was none other than the city of Ephesus. In my study of Ephesus, I found that Ephesus was a very wicked and sinful and morally depraved city. Ephesus was the capital city of the Asian minor. Ephesus was steeped in tradition for her people worshipped the goddess Diana. The temple Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And because of Ephesus' ample harbor and accessible location, it became a mecca for fashions and trends of its day. The city, this city was the center of culture and commerce. It could be said of Ephesus, amen, that it was symbolic of sin and synonymous with worldliness. But Paul said at this time, Amen. I'm going to sail by Ephesus to get to Pentecost. What he was saying with his actions and his attitude was this, is I've already found something better than what this old world has to offer. I've found something more sustaining than sin. I've found something more fulfilling than the carnal things of this life. And I'm passing it all by to get to Pentecost. The scripture says this, that he would not spend the time in Asia. He said, I'm not going to waste my time in this world trying to find joy, trying to find peace in my heart and contentment for my soul. I've already been there. I've already done that. He was a self-acclaimed cheapest of sinners. But he said, I found that the pleasures of this present world could not compare to this Pentecostal experience. And I just wonder if there's somebody at West Coast that could stand and testify to the fact that what you found at an apostolic altar is greater than what you had in alcoholism. It's greater than drugs. It's greater than worldly pleasures. It's greater than the things of this world. You're willing to pass it all by just to get back to Pentecost today. this glorious salvation. I thank God that He filled me with the Holy Ghost. He gave me something this world couldn't give me. 
You know the reason we get excited? It's an outward expression of an inward experience. We got the Holy Ghost that'll put leap in your feet, that'll cause you to dance, that'll cause you to want to shout, that'll cause you to want to lift your voice and praise the Lord. I kind of doubt somebody's got the Holy Ghost if they don't enjoy praising and worshiping the Lord because the Bible said He inhabits the praise of His people. You say you've got His Spirit inhabiting your life through the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, honey, He doesn't live where there's not praise. He doesn't live where there's not worship. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to tell you our worship a lot of times is a good barometer of how our spiritual condition is. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you'll want to get behind your preacher. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you'll want to worship God. Nobody have to prime you up. Nobody have to dangle you over hell to lift your voice. But you'll feel the responsibility to lift up your voice and praise the Lord. The Bible only gives me one excuse not to praise Him. It said the dead praise not the Lord. When I used to be dead in the trespasses of sin. But thank God I came to an altar and it filled me with His Spirit. I've been baptized in His name. So you just have to excuse this evangelist. I haven't got so dignified that I don't like to shout. That I don't like to praise Him. That I don't like to worship Him. I want to point out to you this morning that this was many years after his original conversion. The Apostle Paul was not a new convert. Uh, let me stop and preach about that for just a little bit. How come it is? A lot of times it's the new converts that lead in worship and in praise around most Pentecostal church services. i tell you why it is because they haven't forgotten where God has brought them from. What the Lord has done for them. Come on, some of you need to go back 20 years ago when you was groping up and down the streets of a city somewhere searching for what you have. Amen. Hungry for a change in your life. Amen. He was not a new convert, but yet there remained that burning desire, that overwhelming zeal. That insatiable appetite to get back to that place where it all began. And to be renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost. Even a powerful preacher such as Paul realized, I don't want to never be too far away from a good renewing. I'm going to tell you something. I come to West Coast to be renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost. You ought to make up your mind every time you walk through the doors of your church. If nobody else wants it, I've got to get it all over again. I've got to be renewed. I've got to be refreshed. I can't get by on what happened 10 years ago. I can't get by on what happened in the last revival. I need that refreshing power of the Holy Ghost in my life. This is the same apostle that wrote the words, Be not drunk with wine in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Same one that said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Hallelujah. 
Paul was a tongue talker. Paul was somebody that enjoyed being renewed and refreshed in the Holy Ghost. I submit to you that the scripture is very strong when it comes to the subject of renewal. Even those Old Testament patriarchs realized their need of a fresh anointing. Amen. We read about Samuel being directed by the Lord to go down to Jesse's house. And there he would anoint a king that God had chosen. And you know the story of how Jesse passed seven of his sons by the old prophet. And God said no to every one of them. And then the old prophet wheels around and looks at Jesse and he said, Do you have yet another? And I could see Jesse shuffling his feet in the sand and trying to make excuses for the Lord's anointing. He's just a shepherd's boy. He's ruddy in the face. He's young. I don't know what business he would have ruling a kingdom in a palace, setting up on a throne. But if you want us to go get him, we'll go get him. He said, Send and fetch him. For we're not going to sit down until he comes hither. I know it's been preached before, but let me say it again. I believe that there is an apostolic posture that the church must maintain until Jesus comes. Amen. Samuel said, I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to be relaxed until he gets here. Let me tell you something. It's not time for us to push cruise control. It's not time for us to relax. It's not time for us to get comfortable and complacent and passive about revival. But if we've ever needed to stand for this truth, if we've ever needed to stand for the cause of revival, if we've ever needed to stand in burden and concern and compassion for the lost, it's in this hour in which we live right now. He said, I'm not going to sit down till the king comes. Finally, I want you to notice that when David did arrive, what happened? Something happened when that shepherd boy showed up. Amen. That anointing that hadn't flowed for years began to flow. Let me tell you something about your shepherd. Amen. If you want the anointing in your life, if you want the touch of God in your life, you better stay close to the shepherd because that's where the anointing is. I worry about people that's always trying to separate themselves and disconnect themselves from a shepherd. I want to stay close to the man of God because it's upon him that the anointing of heaven flows from him to me. Can you imagine how David must have felt when that anointing flowed from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I'm sure he had never experienced anything like it up until that time. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him to get away from that first anointing, that first experience. Hey Amen. That first time that he felt that oil run down upon his head. Oh, I want to ask you this morning, do you remember that first time that you stumbled down to an altar in an apostolic church services? Hey Amen. Cigarette stains on your fingertips. Alcohol on your breath. Your marriage on the rocks. Your life a literal mess. But God in His grace, amen, forgave you of your sins. Gave you this glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, do you remember what you felt that first time? Friend, you 
couldn't hardly wait to get back home to get on the telephone and tell all of your family what God had done for you. You received the Holy Ghost. When you come to church back that Wednesday night at Bible study, you sit on the edge of your pew absorbing every word that the preacher preached. Sunday morning wasn't a dead, dry, drab service to you, but you come with a hunger in your heart. God, I want you to speak to me. Sunday night, nobody had to say anything to get you on your feet to worship the Lord. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get back to that place of first anointing. You need to get back to that place where you first received it. But I want to point out something to you. This was not David's last anointing. For he said in Psalms 92 and 10, I shall be anointed with a fresh oil. So we see in 2 Samuel chapter number 3 that he was anointed a second time over the house of Judah. And then a few chapters later in chapter number 5, he was anointed a third time over the house of Israel. No wonder David could say in Psalms 23, he anointed my head with oil and my cup runneth over. I'm going to tell you something. Renewal is a cure for backsliding. There's not a singer that can sing good enough to keep you in the church. There's not a choir good enough to keep you in the church. There's not a drama good enough to keep you in the church. There's not a preacher perfect enough to keep you in the church. The only thing that can keep you in this church is if you stay full of the Holy Ghost. Paul realized something. I've got to be renewed again. This church doesn't operate on personalities. It doesn't operate on programs or methods. It doesn't operate on preaching alone and by itself. But it functions on nothing less than the power of the Holy Ghost. And it doesn't matter how technical, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, or educated we become, how many degrees you got hanging on the wall, you must never lose your reliance upon the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not the chrome on the vehicle that we call the church. I'm sorry, it's not the polished paint. It's not the mag wheels. It's not the rubber foam dice that hang from the rearview mirror. Oh, but it's the energy. It's the engine. It's the life force. It's the motor that drives this thing. It's the Holy Ghost that we need. I thank God for padded pews and spiraling steeples and fancy facilities. But these are just the accessories of the church. You want to know what the main attraction is? It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, full of the Holy Ghost. The book of Jude is the Acts of the Apostates, without the Holy Ghost. The book of Acts is 28 chapters long, and it never ends. It never concludes. It's still continuing today. The book of Jude is only one chapter long, and that's it. That's over with. Hey, man, you want to know why? It's because there's really not much to write about and to record without the Holy Ghost working in the church. Come on, it's not our talent. It's not our ability. It's not our organization. It's not, it's not our programs. That's the calling card of the apostolic church. But it's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. For he said, it's not by might, nor yet by power, but by my spirit. Oh, you take the spirit out of this.
this thing. It's as dead as anything else. Oh, but it's the spirit that maketh alive. Would you lift your hands and let's worship the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost working in this place. Second thing that I find that could have detained the Apostle Paul on his journey was his friends and family in the Lord at Caesarea. The Bible said that they besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul's spears pressured him to capitulate. Amen. Paul, you don't have to go that far. Has anybody ever heard that? Does that sound familiar? It's really all that that you do necessary. Paul, Paul, why are you so fanatical about this thing? What man, you're taking this thing overboard. God doesn't require all of that. They did not understand his dedication. They didn't understand his determination. They didn't understand his drive and his devotion and his desire. In this world, let me preach to you, will try to discredit your dedication and your devotion to God. But Paul's response was this. His desire was so great that he refused to allow somebody's lack of desire to keep him from arriving at his full potential and his purpose. Come on, your daddy may never make the trip. Mama may decide not to go. Your brothers and sisters may never seek the Lord. They may never have the passion that you've got. But you've got to make up your mind. I'm going all out. I'm going all the way. I'm stopping at nothing. I must arrive at Jerusalem. Can you imagine that young plowboy, Elisha, walking behind his oxen, plowing the furrows, and then suddenly that old prophet passes by, casts that anointing, anointed mantle upon him. I've got to have some more of it. 
One touch is not good enough for me. Come on, where are you today? Hallelujah. One touch is not good enough for me. I've got to receive a double portion of that. Notice that the prophet just kept on walking. You see, I, I found that the Spirit initiates things in our lives. But it's up to you to respond. It's up to you to pursue it. It's up to you to hunger after it, to follow after it. The spiritual pursuit cost him. Amen. He left his family. He left his friends behind. He broke his plow, which was representative of his old life, his old occupation. He said, I'm not returning to this, but I'm in pursuit of a higher purpose. Amen. I feel the call of God upon my life. Amen. And, and there was those among his peer group that tried to tell him, you're wasting your time. Come on. You don't have to go that far. Well, they laughed and they mocked and they, they made fun of him. Oh, but he said, I'm in pursuit of something greater. I'm in pursuit of a heavenly calling. I want something more. I don't know about you, but I come here wanting something more from God. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. Oh, I want more. I could seem to say, fellas, I don't expect you to understand it because you wasn't there in that plow field. Amen. You didn't feel what I felt. But if you'd have felt what I felt, you'd understand why I'm so passionate. You'd understand why I will not be deterred. You'll understand why I can't be turned around. I want to tell this world, if you've ever felt what we've felt, you'd understand why we get so excited. Why we're so passionate. Why there's such a hunger in our heart. He said, I'm willing to leave it all behind. Third thing that, that could have, but thank God did not, detain the Apostle Paul was the cost that was involved. He knew that there was a great possibility that he would be persecuted. He would be imprisoned. He would be punished at Jerusalem. But notice what he said. He said, none of these things move me. I'm not willing just to be bound, but I'm willing to die at Jerusalem. You see, there was... There, there becomes a point in your life that the passion is so great that the price doesn't matter anymore. He said, I may have to sacrifice. I may have to give up some things. But I'm willing to pass it all by to get to Pentecost. As never before, the adversary is constantly assaulting the minds of Pentecostals, telling them that the price is too great to have a real revival, to have a real move of God, to stand for this truth. Oh, because he doesn't want you to go, if you will, to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem represents a place of Pentecost power. It represents a place of revelation. It represents a place of deliverance. He knows if you ever arrive at Jerusalem, it's a point of no return. Oh, he has no longer dominion in your life. The, the, Satan 
Satan's shackles have been severed. The bands have been broken. His influence has been abated in your life. But adventure, there's some people that come to West Coast that'll say none of these things move me. Amen. The allurements of this world, they don't move me. The spirit of ungodliness that plagues this generation, it doesn't move me. The winds of compromise, they're not going to dissuade me. The influence of friends and family that don't want this, amen, they're not going to hinder me. Nothing's going to pull me away from that divine purpose that God has called me to. Would you stand to your feet right now, lift up your hands. There's people that come to this conference. You got things pulling on you. You you got some things, Amen, that are trying to distract you from your purpose and what God has called you to. How oh, that God's trying to encourage you today. Keep on standing for truth. Keep on living right. Keep on praying. Keep on worshiping. Keep on having good church. Amen. Nothing's going to keep me away from my purpose. That's your desire. Lift your hands this morning. Cry out to God right now. Come on right now. Come on right now. We've got time to call out on the Lord. We may not be able to come down to this altar, but I want all of us all over the house to reach right, right, reach out right now. God, give us a renewed passion. Give us a renewed desire. Give us a tenacity in the Holy Ghost. I'm bound in the Spirit to this experience. I'm bound in the Spirit to my commitments. I'm bound in the Spirit... Oh, come on right now. Let's reach out.